All right, everybody. This is John Stamp, and welcome back to the That's Criminal podcast. Uh, That's Criminal is where we talk books, true crime, authors, uh, writing process, and pretty much whatever else crosses my mind in that particular day. And today, um, we are talking spy thrillers, and we're talking spy thrillers with Matt Scott, author of Surviving the Lion's Den and the Iranian Deception. So this is a good book so far. I'm, uh, I'm loving them. They're, uh, they're good, easy reads and um, the action's tight. So Matt, welcome. John, thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And uh, so, so far, giant fan of uh, Carruthers and DeLang. Um, but they met under unfortunate circumstances, but uh, I'm yeah. enjoying the ride. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> to, uh, to lay it out there, I guess, uh, if you want to introduce, uh, introduce your series. Uh, well, first of all, I'm, I'm glad you're a fan of Carruthers because, uh, you know, I read your bio and, you know, you have a degree from the University of Florida. But I hate to tell you, Kirk Carruthers was a tight end for Florida State back in the 90s. So if you're a fan of Kirk Carruthers, you're fighting for the other side a little bit. So, oh. you know, here, here we go, baby. Here we go. <laughs> I, I can live with that. I, went, I, I got my, my, uh, my uh, Gator degree for grad school, so it's not like I lived I in the swamp. You. But uh, no, I'm pretty I easy going. I, as long as nobody's stealing just... crab legs down in uh, Florida State anymore, right? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. But the crab legs are sitting next to the national championship trophy, so they are. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just, I just, I mean, I had, I, I, when I saw that on your bio, I had to, I had to poke fun a little bit. But uh, no, uh, so, so uh, surviving the lion's den and the Iranian deception. Uh, it's, it's going to be a series of three. I started out with uh, surviving the lion's den simply because. Uh, I had always been fascinated with Iran. Why does Iran hate us? And I had been reading a lot of spy fillers, especially, you know, Vince Flynn, Brad Thor. I mean, they just, they hooked me in, right? Um, but I was also a fan of Da Vinci Code, and I wanted to take writers, excuse me, readers on a tour of Iran. Now, it's hard to do because it's illegal to be American in Iran. And if you go there, you have to have an escort. And chances are the escort is going to be a member of the besiege, right? So, I needed a character that had a personal story that uh, would allow the readers to see Iran through his eyes in all these other locations. But I also wanted to, you know, have a spy aspect come, come into it because that was important to me because I've, I've always been into that. So that's kind of where the Tom DeLange and Kirk Carruthers character uh, came in. Um, you know, DeLange gets captured. You know, Kirk Carruthers goes over there uh, to you know, seek revenge for his grandfather because the Revolutionary Guard was uh, hunting down members, uh, remaining members of um, the C- who were involved in the CIA coup back in 53. So I kind of was able to segue a little bit and have them meet up. And I think I, 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 it seems from the feedback that I'm getting, it seems like I did that fairly well, which I'm really happy about because I was kind of concerned about. Um, but, uh, you know, by the end of surviving the lion's den, uh, you, you know, I left it so that the readers had to kind of make a choice as to whether or not they thought Kirk was going to, uh, join the CIA at the end. Um, I did answer that question in the Iranian deception. Um, so readers will find that out, but I will say without giving it away, I will say that I, I when I did the Iranian deception, I decided to go in a little bit different direction and make. Ben Thrasher, my main character. Now, Ben Thrasher was a character that was in Surviving the Lion's Den, but he failed on a mission. He has a really big guilt complex. He has some really some serious emotional issues, and he was just a really fun character to write. So I didn't want to go down the route of having, you know, the Kirk Carruthers character. Okay, he did this. Now he's going to the farm. Now he's going to be my 
my super my super spy my main character i mean that i i like the kurt character and i'm not going to get rid of him because people really responded well to him but um you know that that kind of storyline had been done you know i'm not saying it's bad i'm just saying it's been done so i kind of like planted a seed with the ben thrasher character uh and then i use him a little bit more in the iranian deception because he was a fun character to write and uh the iranian deception i was they the publisher put me on a pretty tight timeline so i just had an idea and i went with it and the premise for uh the iranian deception is that the supreme leader is dead the new supreme leader uh has a secret to take over uh the middle east using a connection to the nazis and then there's a tie in uh with with tom delang and uh and kirk carruthers and uh uh, ben Thrasher has to has to save the day, and uh, you know I'm working on I'm working on book three, of the Ayatollah Takedown, right now, um, and I can't say too much about it because I want readers to get to the end of the Iranian deception and and uh, kind of see for themselves a little bit. But I think the, I think they're really going to like it. I've, I've put a lot of work into this one, and it's it's I'm, I'm pleased with it so far. Yeah, I uh, I love the fact that you said it in Iran and that you used the backstory of overthrowing um, the. Uh, uh, overthrowing that regime that all that all those muddy places that we tend to poke our finger in that end up coming back to bite mm-hmm. us so many times yeah. throughout our history we just can't seem to figure that out yet um but um that was one of the questions i was like because i was like when i think of research i'm like how do you get over to iran to start knowing streets and stuff man i was like that's a tough one <laughs> but but yeah. no you sell it you i mean it's uh it, it feels it feels like you're, like you're there and it's and i love the um the little piece of you know you got to have that escort and you know right from the start that that guy's nothing but a spy <laughs> there's just no yeah. way around it especially in a community yeah. like that um yeah you did mention um the intro between uh you were a little concerned about the intro between uh delang and and carruthers and i and i did it actually uh made me chuckle a little bit um because it was <laughs> it was cool in that it was it was nobody knew what was going on the reader had no idea what was going on carruthers had no idea what was going on uh Farad had no idea and Delang thought he had an idea and he was completely wrong so right, yeah. <laughs> he shows up yeah he shows up and he's like wow they only sent two guys to get me and he's like yeah I'm not here for you <laughs> so I'm not yeah. I don't want to I don't want to say too much to give it away but that scene was a perfect follow-up to to a, a really good fight that you put on oh um, thank you yeah thank you. I was uh I was a fan of that Anytime the garden shears come out, I'm just like, okay, I'm in. I can't wait to read this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's where, uh, you know, you, when you had your uh, your interview with Emma Adair, you know, that's where we get to, you know, we get to uh, tap into our dark side a little bit. You can't slap anybody in the office. You can't, you know, cut anybody's fingers off, but you want to. And it's a little therapeutic when you, when you can do it on the pages, right? Yeah. Yep. That, uh, that um, yeah, that uh, just catharsis of, uh, of taking uh-huh. out your dark side. Yeah. <laughs> as long as it yeah, doesn't come wife- out at, yeah, go ahead. My wife read it and she and she's like, "You got some issues." <laughs> well, <laughs> and, like uh, you married him, and uh, especially when uh, when that comes out at a dinner party, you know, after you know people start asking, <laughs> "Oh, what you writing about?" I'm like, "Well, it decapitated a couple people last week with a with a demon, <laughs> and I crushed a guy with a car a week before that." <laughs> and they just yeah. start, if they don't know you well enough, you forget you're around strangers. They're just like, "Yeah, how, who did we let in our house?" Yeah, exa- exactly. Exactly. But then, you, you know, it's, you know, you, you get to know them, but I mean, they're, it, it's always fun to see somebody's first reaction to something like that. It really is. And I, I've actually started kind of enjoying it just to see what, you know, what their face looks like. Yeah. And I've, uh, I've just uh, told my wife that 
whenever I whenever I happen to uh, stick my foot in my mouth, I get to now because I'm an artist. So I get to be eccentric. That's just part yeah. of it. So right. my eccentricity just happens to be a really dark side that I put on yeah. paper. But, yeah, exactly. Uh, Nothing wrong I'm, with it. Nothing wrong I'm with allowed. It. That's part of the art process. Absolutely. Um, but you fun. met you. You also mentioned uh, your uh, that your crazy character Thrasher um mm-hmm. that just uh the you know the emotional uh emotionally charged uh kind of a little bit crazy dude is so much fun to write i i felt had the same thing i i enjoyed a bad guy so much in one of my books spoilers that um mm-hmm. i had to bring her back she was psychotic um assassin yeah. and i was and i i was like I, I was like yeah she needs another book so i had to write an entire second chapter mm-hmm. of that series just to give her the chance to get back on the paper <laughs> oh, i don't blame you i mean the, the when you have a, a character that's really fun to write i mean it's you just can't stop you, you can't and i, I kind of did that not only with thrasher but with uh the character uh Shardell, who was in book one and then ends up being the supreme leader in book two and he's also there in book three and you just and you can because the more you keep them in, the more you can involve them. Now it does mean you have to you know step up your level of creativity a little bit, but that's a gift. You know that's what I you know I try to explain to to writers that are coming up, and when they, they say they got you know they get writer's block, it's like well, you know knock wood, but you know I haven't had that problem. But you know if you feel like you're having that problem, you're not developing enough. You 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 you've taken the characters or the plot as far as it wants wants to go. So you got to, you have to change things up. And that's why I tell people, you know, the delete key is your, is your friend. Don't, don't be afraid of it. Um, you know, sometimes you're going to have, if you have to delete 3000 words, does it stink? Yeah, it stinks. But, you know, look what you did with that 3000. It doesn't matter that it's deleted. I mean, when I started, when I did Lion's Den, my first um, draft of it was, I would say at least half different. I mean, Delang was still there. The kidnapping thing was still there. At least the escape was still there. But it was about three friends that went over to Iran. And it was 130,000 words. You know, it ended up being uh, 86 or 87,000, I think. And before I got published, you know, I, I had somebody in New York edit it for me. And she's like, you got some work to do. I mean, she's like, you got something, but you, you need to shorten this up. And, you know, I had a scene where they uh, where they went into uh you know, the old U.S. Embassy, which was so much fun to write because I, I did a lot of research on it. And these all three characters had these big backstories. It was all gone. I mean, 40,000 words, gone. And you just kind of take a deep breath, highlight, delete, and then you just move on with it. But at the same time, you know, it doesn't discount the fact that, you know, I wrote those words and I learned a lot writing those words. So it's not a bad, it, it's not a bad thing, but uh, I kind of got off track a little bit here, but yeah, when you have a, a fun character, you, you can't give them up. Oh, no, 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 not at all. And, um, and if you look at it the right way, you know, it's, for me, it's always been, I word vomit that first hundred thousand and then oh, I go yeah. back with a scalpel and just start chipping away at, at whatever, oh, yeah. whatever's left. And, but Absolutely. that does hurt that does those multi-page deletions that, that just sticks with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, with, with two and three books, two and three, I didn't have so, quite as much of that because I feel like my, my craft improved a little bit. I, I kind of think of it as the, you know, a, 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 a piece of string that has little loops in it and you just kind of tighten them up, you know, as, as you go along. So uh, Iranian deception and I told a takedown, they're they've been pretty much the same but there were there were instances that i had to had to tighten up a little bit uh, but this one 
you know, you just, you swallow your pride, you do it and you move on, but you, you learn a lot when, even, even when you have to delete it, you think about what you did. It just didn't fit. You know, that, that's all that, that's all that's happening. It just didn't fit. It doesn't change. It doesn't mean what you wrote was bad. It just means that for the story you want to write, it's not, it's not going to work. So, yep. you know, yeah. And, um, the, um, when it comes down to, for me, my gauge has been, and it's only through the last two or three books, but the less time I'm, I'm the, when I can look in my uh, word count and see the, a change in the amount of times I say that or had or, and, or, but mm-hmm. like, if I, if I see those filler worthless words leaving, I feel like it's yeah. more crisp, even if, you know, it's a hundred thousand words, but I can see that number dwindling with every draft. I, I, yeah. that's, that's one of those measurements. I'm like, I'm like, I, I have to be getting a little more clear, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's something good yeah, happening. And, <laughs> yeah. And I, I'm actually at that stage right now with book three, you know, getting, trying to cut the word count down just a, a little bit more. Cause you know, uh, I don't know about the, the big guys at Simon Schuster or Penguin Random House or Double Day, but um, independent publishers like mine, you know, workout matters. Uh, so you got to try and keep it as lean as you can. I don't think I'm going to be as lean as they want me to be on book three, but, you know, they're going to have to deal with it because I'm not I'm not altering the story, but I will cut it down. So, you know, there's not a lot of you don't want to you don't want it to lag, it's, uh, you know, chapter, you know, it doesn't need to be 1200 words when it can be you know, 1125, 1150, you know, whatever it is. So you just, you know, got to be concise because the more, the more concise you are, that's what keeps the readers turning the pages. Yeah. And I want to be, I want it to be crisp. So yeah, when I, when I get to the yeah. point, if I'm to the point being like, we could move on, be like, Oh, okay. There's another page I got to delete. I'm just, yeah, uh, but it's hard. It, it gets real. Yeah, uh, it, it is. It is. But you know, in the end, you just gotta, you just have to have your mind on, on, on the goal at the end. Right. It's all, to make it better. And that's what your goal as a writer is. It's not what you're writing right now. It's, it's the finished product. I mean, that's how I feel about it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what, since we're talking process, um, do you have a defined time or are you one of those guys that just kind of fits it in during the workday or late at night? What's uh, how do you sit down and knock these things out? Um, so usually what will happen is, uh, you know, since we're working from home these days, um, you know, I'll do my eight to five, I'll come downstairs, you know, talk to my wife, we'll have dinner we'll spend some time together. And my, my wife, you know, she, she goes 90 miles an hour in a 35 zone. Uh, so during the work day, so she usually kind of crashes on the couch between eight 30 and nine. And I just, uh, I'm a bit of a night owl. So I tend to try and make good use of my time. So I'll come back upstairs uh, and write. And the first thing I'll do is I'll reread a chapter that I wrote the night before. It's kind of a good way for me to break the ice and get in the groove. And there is, there is some editing associated with it. Uh, maybe not a lot, but just enough to say, uh, you make sure you want to go in that direction for the next chapter. And then I'll write the next chapter. Um, I don't have a, a set number, but I kind of followed uh, Stephen King's advice in the uh, on writing book, which was anywhere between a thousand and 1500. 1500 usually tends to be my number. I don't know why that's just kind of how it turns out, but uh, I never, I, my hard and fast rule is I never stop in the middle of a chapter. If I start a chapter, I have to finish it. I don't care what time it is. You know, it, it has to be finished. Now, if I write a short chapter, that's like 500, 700 words. You know, then I'll go ahead and I'll write, you know, one more. Cause I don't feel like I quite put all of myself into it. Uh, and then, you know, once that chapter is done, you know, I, I don't go back and edit. I save it, put it down and I come back, you know, uh, I come back the next day. 
Yeah, that's a good that's a good habit doing that little bit of that little bit of catch up before you before you start banging away on the keyboard. It gets you yeah. get your mindset right, no matter what else exactly. going on, it kind of cleans it out. Yeah, and it's like stretching, right? It's it's a mental stretch, you know. It, yeah. it keeps you gets you back back in the groove, right? Um, you know, and I'm always looking at my outline, and I'm not much of an outliner. Um, you know, some people are total pantsers. Um, Brad Thor says he writes totally at the seat of his pants. Me, I'll take you know, I'll just put it on an Excel spreadsheet. I'll just, you know, outline a third of the book, you know, one line, you know, and I'll just say, John goes here and, you know, okay. So if he's going to go there, what's the next step? What's the next step? And I usually get about two thirds of it uh, done by way of outline, <clears throat> excuse me. And, you know, then kind of panic sets in. I was like, oh my God, I didn't outline all of it. How am I going to do this? And, but that's a, that's a good thing. That's where, you know, stress and panic, I want panic, maybe not panic, but stress, uh, adds in that's where you know it kind of pushes you to to make sure that you get it right and then as I go along I'll add chapters that make sense and maybe I'll take one out and if I, you haven't seen Ben Thrasher for you know three or four chapters maybe I'll move one up and move one down uh, and that's also where I keep track of my word count um, but you know that's that's what works for me you know I, I wish I could say you know I could uh, just look at a map and say okay I'm going I'm going there today yeah. I have to say either northeast, south, or west. I got to have a, a guide, um, but but hands off, you know, heads off to the to the people who can, you know, are total pantsers and can uh, write like that. I wish I could, but um, everybody has their own process, and that's what's worked for me so far. Yeah, and uh, and it baffles me that a guy with as tight of plots is uh, as Thor uh, can just. Be like, I'm, you know, what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna knock out a novel. I have, I got an idea. That's it. I'm gonna go. I'm, <laughs> for me, I, I can't even get started unless I have an opening hook, and uh, and a uh, climax. I gotta have, uh, I gotta know how the fight's gonna go at the end, and I gotta know, uh, pretty much since every book opens with a murder within the first ten pages, I gotta know who I'm gonna kill first and why, and right, yeah, and write the and route the story to make sure A gets to A gets to Z, you know. But then it's so you weird. know the ending. So you know uh, the I've, ending when you start. I've got an idea of the ending when I start. I can tell you okay. in at least three books that's completely changed about three quarters of the way through because the characters just decided to go their own way. Um, okay. But um, but I, I I feel like if I don't know uh, what the end fight looks like, I yeah. feel like I'm gonna get like you said two thirds of the way through and just get a cold sweat and have zero idea what I'm doing next. Right. I, I yeah. it, it freaks me out. Uh, yeah, I, I can understand that. Yeah, for me, I I pretty much know how it's going to end. I mean, I won't say I, I, I don't set anything in concrete, you know, because, again, delete key is your friend. You have to go where the process takes you and where you're where the keyboard takes you. Because one of the things that's really worked for me is that, you know, I tend to be an overthinker. Uh, it comes from, you know, I'm just that type of an analyst. Uh, but when I'm sitting at the keyboard, if I have an idea, I just go with it. And that has been one of the best things about this writing process is looking at something, not knowing how I'm going to get myself out of it. And then you, I get in the keyboard and I'm like, uh, now I've got it. That worked. And I just, I take the idea and I just run with it. I don't stop. I just go with it. And, you know, and, and, and that's been fun and it, it, it really helps. Yep. Do you, uh, and, and I, I should lay it out there uh, since we've been saying stuff like pantsers for all, those of you who don't write, um, there's like two camps in the writing world. There's people who are plotters and people who have been called pantsers because they theoretically write by the seat of their pants and usually can nail somebody down into some kind of, there's hybrids out there, but 
for the most part, people either need a plan to start with, or they can just wing it. And I, I am not one that can wing it. <laughs> so I wish I had that skill. I mean, yeah. Brad Thor, that's why he's the champ of the, of the thriller in my estimation. That is, that, that is not, uh, you know, put down any, anybody else in the genre because I, I, I love them all. Uh, but I mean, to me, that's, he's he's the guy he's the guy that's uh it's got the belt right now in my estimation yeah and, the, and but the cool thing is when you say that you know the guy who's a champ right now it's in this world and it's a weird thing because it's very uncommon in the rest of the world but because this dude's on top right now it doesn't mean that we're we're you know wanting to see ill happen to them or there's a competition to no. take readers away it's everybody everybody no. it's, it's weird all these all writers will cheer each other on to you exactly know, it's uh it's a exactly. it's a cool part of the community i had no idea was going to be a thing when i got into it yeah and that's been that that has been very it's been very pleasantly surprising and it's good because here's the thing if you look at you want to be a little bit competitive right i mean com- competition is good but you have to look at it as you know you're within the you're within the genre so if the genre is doing well we're all going to do well so you want brad thor to do well you want brad taylor to do well. jack carr you know Kyle Mills, you know, Joel Rosenberg, you know, uh, any, any of them. So the better the genre, (laughs) yeah, hopefully, hopefully I'll get, I'll I'll get there one day. I'm trying, I'm trying. Uh, But I mean, because the, they bring in, they get the people in the door. Those are the ones that get the people in the door. And then if, you know, then word starts to spread. Well, if you like, you know, if you like him, you like, you you know, you're going to like John Stamp or, you know, whoever. And, that's why it's it's a community that that really works and i i am really really grateful for that um hopefully one day you know i'll be able to to get up to thriller fest which i have not been able to do yet i think it's it's, i would love to it's it's a it's got a heavy price tag to it so i have a hard time convincing my wife (laughs) you can spend that kind of money because i'm still trying to recoup what i've spent so far uh but one day i'm going to get up there but um you know everybody you know from writers to readers, to podcasters, to reviewers, to bloggers. I mean, it, it, it all seems like everybody wants to be in the community. And the cool thing, one of the other cool things is most of the authors, maybe not all of them, but, you know, a lot of them have, you know, very good social media presence and they can't answer everybody. Although Jack Carr does a pretty darn good job of yeah. answering everybody. But, um, you know, a lot of them, you know, they'll answer back. I mean, I remember I got a, uh, I got a tweet uh, or I got a like from Patricia Cornwell the other day. And I'm like, Whoa, you know, you know, it's, you know, it just, it just makes your day when, when somebody does it. And, you know, if you, if I hear from a, a reader that, you know, never heard of and, you know, they love it. It just, it makes my day. So, you know, circle of life, Simba. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It was a, it was funny. You know, you, you like something or retweet something. It's, and I remember it was a, it was car. I retweeted something. It was probably mm-hmm. a, a a cool gun, but um, and then he he uh, hit back, and I was like, oh, hey, yeah, that's cool. It's, they do yeah. exist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And because we all know how hard it is to be successful. Oh yeah. In the pub in the publishing industry, I mean, uh, self publishing is not a bad thing. I mean, I think uh, I think Ama is self publishing. Was wasn't her L novels? Aren't they self published? She's got I forget who she works through, but she works with somebody. I forget. Okay. Uh, I think the uh, the graphic novel uh, was independent or through a, a okay somebody who helped her out with the art and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, I forget what, who she works with. Yeah, it, I mean, and I think self publishing is has turned out to be a great thing because it allows people to really 
get their, you know, express themselves. But it does at the same time, you have to be careful of, of saturating the market. Um, you know, and it, I want authors, independent authors to get to, to get noticed. I mean, that is that is the goal, right? I mean, you want to live your passion, you want to be successful. Uh, but it's it's gotten to the point where, you know, every the everybody has to hustle. And I actually think that that's a good thing. Um, the problem with that is, is that if you talk to publishers these days, they're telling authors that they need to have more social media presence. And I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm saying, you know, it's good for them because guess what? That means they have to do less work. And if you're an author, it's kind of like, okay, I wrote the book, you know, you guys need to do your job too. And I think that's one of the things that I think the publishers are are starting, especially the, the big ones are starting to get, get away with a little bit more. And, um, I better not run my mouth too much because I don't want to put anybody down, but you know, that, you know, I, I, you know, that's what I'm seeing and that's, that's what I'm hearing. And my my agent has been very good about, you know, uh, sending out a a monthly newsletter that, you know, lets people know what's going on in the industry and, you know, who she's been talking to and the conferences she's been going to. And that's the feedback that she gets. And so I think I've had to step up my social media presence in a way that, and I've had to learn things that I never, I never thought I could learn. Uh, so I, it, it, it makes you a better writer. It makes you stronger you, know, you get, you acquire skills that you didn't know you, you could have, but, um, you know, I think everybody's got to do their, do their piece on it and, uh, hats off to, you know, the, the self-publishers, man. I, you know, I, I don't think I could do it. I, I mean, I, I, I was fortunate enough to get an agent and get a publisher, but self-publishing, man, it, 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 it's tough. It's, it's really tough. Yeah. And I wanted a, I wanted a partner going into the industry. I, I, I just, uh, I didn't want to throw stuff out there because a, if you're the only one looking at it, you don't, you can't see the weaknesses. So for yeah. the first couple, I hired out an editor and then Smart. submitted it to publishers and mm-hmm. got a small publisher that they really weren't, you know, they didn't know what they were doing. Their, their covers, it's, it was, it was odd. One of them folded, um, mm-hmm. but so then when they come off contract, then I put them out myself and there was only one, the, uh, I, I lost my mind. I think it went insane for a little bit and decided I had to write die hard in a medieval <laughs> castle in like 2017. And, okay. um, I just, but that was just me. That was me. Uh, that was my, my foray into the fantasy world. And, uh, and it was, you know, when you got to research horses for two days to do like a five page, you know, journey from one place to the next, and that's it. It's like, man, it's so much easier just to have car chases and shoot people. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't mean. know. If, yeah, I don't know if I'll be going back into the high fantasy world anytime soon. But it was cool. But that, but just uh, building that world's wholly different. But that one was a purely independent project I did. But yeah. I like having having those resources, and I don't mind sharing in you know whatever revenue there might be to have those professionals backing me up which is, oh, which no. is good. Yeah, but, uh, no, absolutely. But, yeah. I think, I think anybody who, who wants to get, you know, where the, you know, if, even if you eventually self-publish having another set of eyes on it is, is, is just well worth it. Especially if you're, if you're, you know, a debut novelist, I mean, you know, everybody wishes they were the next Tom Clancy or Dan, Dan Brown. Everybody has those thoughts and you want to be that. And that's, and that's a good thing, but you know, you, you really need to have uh, somebody take a look at it. And the, I, I would, I think that's really the best thing that probably happened to me for Lion's Den uh, is that I had a really good editor named Caroline Tolley. 
uh, who I hired independently. She used to work at Simon and Schuster, but now she kind of does her own thing. And uh, she, you know, gave me notes and, you know, you want to change here. And it was, it was a very constructive criticism. It wasn't like no exclamation point or what are you doing? You know um, it was very good and it was, it was helpful. And I think that that first edit, it's always going to be gut wrenching. It, it's just going to be because you, your first novel, no matter how long it is, it's your baby. Right. I mean, that, that was, that was your dream. So uh, editing it is, is a little hard, is hard, but you just, you accept it and you just understand that, you know, the person you're giving it to uh, is doing the best job possible to make your, your novel better. And, you know, they may be friendly to you, but that doesn't mean that they're your friend. And <laughs> yeah. that's, and that's a good thing because there's that degree of separation. So um, I would always, always recommend that because a second set of eyes can do wonders for you. And I mean, it, it certainly did for me. And I think because the version of Lines Den that ended up selling was pretty darn close to the second draft uh, that uh, that came out. Yeah, and uh, and Clancy and Brown aren't Clancy and Brown without that same type of resource, you know. And it can't be yeah. it it uh, it's got to be somebody who doesn't mind punching you. <laughs> oh yeah, you got to make sure it's somebody who will punch you, and and you know you can't get mad about it when they punch you because you asked them to do it. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you just, you get, you know, you just have to understand, you know, you, you have to welcome the mistakes because that's how you're going to learn and that's how you're, you're going to get better. Yep. Yep. So, um, so going through uh, the, the end of the book business, how, uh, I think I heard you mention it on, uh, on another podcast, but you had a wild number of rejection letters. That, uh, 96 96 rejection letters 96 yeah 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 I uh I I still have trouble uh, you know facing that because I, I I thought I had you know a really good query letter I didn't think it was weak now I, I can say this um when my when Lion's Den the proposal for Lion's Den it did actually reach Emily Bessler's desk uh, and she wanted to, even though she rejected me, she said, you know, it had a really good hook. So, I mean, that gave me hope, right? I mean, you know, the, when the editor of, you know, Brad Thorne and Jet Carr says, you know, you got something good, then you, know, you got something good. So that gave me some hope. But uh, yeah, query letters, uh, it, it's, you, just, you just have to, to, to take the punches and, and run the gauntlet. I mean, <laughs> I, I wish I had a better answer for, for prospective authors out there. Uh, you know, some of them, you know, you get, you get, you know, three, you know, three, 10, whatever. And, you know, you get one others like me, it takes 96. Uh, and you know, you just, what's meant to be is meant to be. Um, but, you know, query letter definitely matters. Maybe I did it at the wrong time of year. Maybe I did it at a time where, um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, some of the, the literary agents were kind of getting tired of, of reading the same thing. You, you never know. I mean, there, there's so many unknown unknowns out there uh, and you just, you just do the best you can. Um, I started, I finished Lion's Den by September or November uh, 2020 or no, 19. And then I started querying uh, in April of 20 uh just as covid was getting started just in time. So, 
<laughs> you know, so I'm sure that that had something to do with it. Um, I kind of thought my thought process at the time was, well, everybody's working from home and, you know, nothing, you know, most literary agents, you know, work from home anyway. Um, I didn't really see a whole lot of difference, but, you know, it was <laughs> nature just kind of threw me a curveball through everyone for a curveball. But for me, is you know, trying to be a published author, that was that was the curveball that I had to I had to deal with. So uh, I I wish I had a better answer for somebody you know who, who's looking to get you know get published or get an agent you know in, in less uh, rejection letters than I did. But it just that's my story. I, oh, I actually I mean you said it. Yeah, I I think I would say I would I would hope somebody could get it in less rejection letters and because I stopped counting at sixty for for Blood Red Ivory oh, and. Oh, wow. um, and uh, but at the same time, you got to have that experience in this game. You know, I, yeah. I really think you do, because it just you got to have that thick skin, especially, you know, yeah. as an author putting stuff out there. Um, you got to I think facing rejection is one of those um, one of those gates that you got to walk through, which which you're uh, better for it. I mean, because think about all the yeah. other stuff you run into in the world and you're just like, huh, you haven't told me no 96 times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Beat that. Exactly. No, I mean, you know. You just, you just, you have to, I mean, you know, uh, the difference between being a published author and being an unpublished author is that published authors never stop. And that's just kind of the mentality that I had. Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm going to find a, I'm going to find a way, you know, and eventually it happened for me. Uh, now, luckily on the publishing side, uh, the book sold within three weeks, I think. So, uh you know that 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 made things a, a little a little bit easier because even when you get an agent you you know you may not get published somebody may not be interested in it you know your agent can keep it for months on in and, and, and shop it around until you know maybe you know a, a publisher that wasn't interested in thrillers in october maybe you know when may comes around maybe they are uh so i mean there's that waiting game too but luckily that that happened Yep. Yeah. And, but like I said, there's no rhyme or reason to, to any of no. it. How polished no. your query letter is doesn't matter. It could be, they just, you know, had to wait too long for their coffee that day and put them in a bad mood. It's, it could be yeah. as simple as that. Exactly. So. I mean, you, know, you may as well be shaking a magic eight ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I always thought that was kind of fun. It was like, uh, it was like opening up Google, typing in literary agent and then throwing a figurative dart at the screen. <laughs> I was pretty like, yeah, much. I'll try that one. <laughs> pretty much. Now, I will say this: that you know, the the for for people who are looking for literary agents, uh, the Writers Digest does put out a a book of uh, literary agents, you know, every year, uh, and it's listed in accordance to genre. So that is a good point of reference for people, and that's and that is what I what I used. Um, so that does that does help. Um, but in the end, you know, everybody runs the gauntlet. Yep. And uh, yeah, I use that one. And then also the uh, agent, I think it's agent query online, that database. Yeah. I, I can't mm -hmm. remember. Agent yeah, yeah. Query yeah, no, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yep. But it's just all part of the game that I, I think has been fun. But, um, you know, it's one of those things where this is, I started this thing, the whole thing, because it's fun. So if I'm not having fun, I'm not doing yeah. it. <laughs> so it's all exactly. part of the experience. <laughs> exactly. And, you yeah. know, I, I'm, I'm, it's, it's my hope that, you know, one day, you know, if either of these gets, you know, made into a movie or, you know, it sells well, you know, that's the story I, I get to tell is that, you know, I got rejected 96 times. I think, 
I think Flynn was close to that. Uh, I don't remember what his number was, but his number was pretty high. And the story is that he took every rejection letter and he taped it to his wall until he finally, until he finally made it. Uh, so I, you know, I, I, I kept that, in, I kept that in mind, you know? Yeah. And sadly, because I, I I always thought of that too, that that'd be fun to have that big spike of uh, letters, but now all of ours are <laughs> emails. So it's like, ah, exactly. not gonna work. Exactly. I'm not taking the time to print all that out. <laughs> no, I will no, tell no, you no. though, uh, much like uh, Crichton, you know, when you read a Crichton book, it reads like a movie. Your, your uh, Surviving the Lion's Den blocks out like their movie scenes. You know how Michael Crichton used to do that? You can just, I, I remember specifically in um, Jurassic Park, I thought Sphere was written much the same way. And mm-hmm. um, his last book, Micro, it was never optioned, but I, I, but he, his just style reads really well to be adapted to the screen. And I, I got the same vibe with Surviving the, oh, thank you. the Lion's Den. Yeah, yeah, it just oh, moves, thank it you. flows really well. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, I had a, uh, you know, I, I had a lot, there's a lot of little plot lines in, in Lion's Den that I have to tie up uh, at the end. So uh, I'm glad you feel that way. I think the feedback I've gotten so far from, you know, the other readers that have liked it have, has, has said the same, but uh, it, it's, a. Uh, I think what Stephen Hendricks of Stephen of uh, Hendricks book review said, it's a tall and wide thriller. Now I didn't, I, I didn't think of that before I gave it to him, but I, you know, after I got it, I was like, you know what? Yeah, he, he's right. Uh, but yeah, yeah that, you know, I'll, I'll take it, you know, I'll take it. There, there are worse things to, to be said. Uh, but, uh, I had, a, I had a lot going on and I, I had, it had to be concise and, and, and flow well in order for it to work. So I'm, I'm so happy that you feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a lot to, especially, I mean, that good, those good spy thrillers, they got a bunch going on and it all just comes back in the end. So that's, uh, I, I, the, the plot's tight. I, I just think it flows really well. And thank you. Um, thank you. as far as um, uh, putting that together, we talked about, you know, why you wanted to use Iran. Um, mm. But even, you know, the fact of when you write this book, you set it up, this, the, the, you set it in Iran, a mm-hmm. country that's hospi- hostile. You can't, Americans can't go there without a whole lot of oversight and a whole lot more surveillance. Yeah. Um, yeah. How much time did you put into researching and what were the things like, what were the things that jammed you up? Like, what were some of the in, uh, eccentricities that you just got? And there's like, was there anything in that culture that you were like, okay, I got to change something in my plot because that is not going to work there? Um, well, I don't, I don't think I, I got jammed up, but I had a lot to work with uh, because there were, you know, when I started researching it, there were so many different sites and, and spots that I wanted to try and feature and eventually I had to wean it down uh because location was was really important to me um but you know thankfully you know with youtube these days everybody's got a dash cam on their car or if they're going into one of the uh the touristy sites like the zadi tower or something like that you know they take their phones and you can you can really see you know what's going on from a first person uh point of view so that really helped um i did my traditional research on you know on the internet uh looking at all the spots um, I tried to be as good as I can about finding stuff that maybe people didn't know about, but in the end, if for Iran, you, you're not, it's not like Paris where you're looking for, you know, a secret, a secret passage that not a lot of people know about. If for Iran, they want to know what it is, why it's there and why it's there and what the description is. Um, so, and then there, there were a couple of really good documentaries on Amazon prime, uh, one was, uh, called everything's forbidden or and everything is possible, some, something like that. Um, 
and you really got to see how Iran operates in the shadows of the people trying to live under the regime versus you know what they have to do outside their doors and that's really what I wanted to try and and focus on because uh, you know there are some really good Iranian people out there that really you know they they want they do want peace but it's the iron fist that that, that runs that place so um, I think I probably had to be the most careful um, with the Revolutionary Guard because I wanted to try and make sure that I got everything that they do do correctly, you know, um, because every, people forget, you know, the, the, the Revolutionary Guard, there's there's different branches of it. You, know, you got the Quds Force that, you know, handles everything overseas. You got the besieged that, that's domestically. You got the aerospace uh, and you got the army. So uh, it's, it's not just one force, you know, uh, but luckily, you know, with the Revolutionary Guard, you can kind of get away with it a little bit because in the end, they're all in, they're all in the same boat. But, you know, somebody from the Kuds force isn't going to come knocking on your door. It's not going to be them. It's going to be the besiege. Uh, so that's those are the kind of things that I that I had to had to be careful about. Um, but I was surprised those documentaries really helped because, it, it you know, it, you learned between that and the follow ups like that. There's a, a scene at the uh, um, Zine Ski Resort uh, that I don't know if you've gotten to yet, but uh, the besiege gives it's there they're there but they, there's a lot of leeway that's associated with it and you have to learn why that leeway exists and it's well it's because you know these are the customers that bring in the money when in a country that's really has a lot of uh economic sanctions against them you know it's, it's going to run it's going to go where the money is but they're only going to let you get away with so much so that's that was kind of the balance is that i, I didn't want anybody any of the characters that are uh, operating on the black market to go too far so that was probably the, the line that i that i had to walk because i wanted to be as realistic as i could about what was happening there but i couldn't i couldn't take it too far but uh there was one scene where i was talking about the you know the way they make beer in, in iran because you know it's, all, it's not non-alcoholic beer but they give you the non-alcoholic beer and that's actually the hardest part so you just have to re-ferment uh, the beer to add the alcohol back in. And I was like, oh, these uh, these guys have figured out how to get around it, and that's so that was pretty cool. That was that was fun. Yeah, cre- creativity under those uh, those regimes. The like you said, the the people just want to live like everybody else does, and even yeah, you know, I, I noticed in some of the places uh, when I traveled in in different places that were more controlled than this. You know, even the the dudes in uniform, they there's no other choice. They you know, if they want to live, they, you know, they have to be a part of this group. That doesn't mean that they hate any, you know, there's no, there's none of that, uh, that fervent, you know, like Nazi yeah. pride that, that you would equate with, you know, the world war II area. They're just like, I need a job and I got to wear this stupid uniform and serve yeah. these ridiculous leaders to, to get the job done sometimes. Yeah. Other times I mean, it's not, you, but. Yeah. No, you're always going to have that, that, percentage of the revolutionary guard that that you know the, the fervent believer i would say probably that number's 20 percent, 25 maybe you can even go as high as a third probably but i don't know that it's that high but the other guys you know they they do what they have to do and for the people that are operating in the black in, in the black market you know the guys that are making the beer and selling it that just goes to show you to that uh freedom will always find a way and i think that you know it's hard to tell when iran's time is going to come but the sanctions that are in place, um, 
you know, it, it's going to end up crippling them. And at some point, because all the Iranians, you know, they want their iPhones, they want to be able to, you know, post to social media. Those Instagram is the only allowed social media in in um, in, in Iran, but Twitter and Facebook they want. Uh, so it something's going to happen. It's just it's hard to tell when. The current supreme leader is suffering from health conditions. It, you know, obviously it's a secret. I've heard things as, as like liver liver cancer or prostate cancer. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Uh, you know, within the next ten years or so, um, because that that could be Iran's chance. But you don't know what's going on behind the scenes because the media is is so closed off there. You don't know who's being groomed uh, in, in the background. Yep, but um, it's funny you were you were uh, kind of channeling some gold bloom there for a second. Yeah, life <laughs> finds a way, freedom finds a way. <laughs> I do That's like true. that quote. I might yeah. use that. <laughs> I might go. No, no, I might go use ahead. that at some point. <laughs> yeah, no, good. By by all means, uh, <laughs> just don't ask me to do a Jeff Goldblum Goldblum impression. You know, oh God. Although you know, oh, oh, oh. Hey, that's that's about as good as that's about as good as it gets for me. <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I'm my uh, my family can quote even my five year old can quote movie lines just seeing uh-huh. it once. I can't do it. Like I know that that is it's a genetic trait passed on from my wife's side of the family because no matter what, I've seen Tombstone like sixty times. I still can't quote Doc Holliday. Really? Yeah, really? my kid can watch my kid can watch some ridiculous like Lego show and just start whipping that stuff off. Like it's his job. And I'm like, yep, it's genetic. It's gotta be, <laughs> I just yeah, don't have the I mind mean, for I, it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm the, I'm the same way. I, I can, I can do it. Once I, once I hear something, you know, I'm your Huckleberry, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's in there. I mean, you know, it, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's there. It's not going anywhere. See, I'm fairly certain I would screw that up. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So I got, uh, you mentioned Flynn, you mentioned Thor and uh, Brown who uh was there anybody in particular that that really put you on that road that you read when you were a kid and was like i'm gonna be a writer or, or did you just kind of grow into it okay so I, I this is a little of a long story so i'll try and make it as short as i can for you it's uh, an open format man take your time uh, okay all right <laughs> well um you know as a kid i i did not like reading i just i did not like it i did not like you know the assignments they were giving us for summer reading i hated watership down i hated the good earth and I just, I resisted it. I really did. Um, so it wasn't until really after college. Uh, I'd always, I mean, I'd always had the craft down. I knew I had a knack for it, but I just didn't know where it was going to take me. Um, and I studied under uh, General Sam Wilson, who was at one point, the, he was the president of the college at the time. But at one point during his career, he was um, the director of the Defense Intelligence Agency. So that's kind of where I caught the bug just a little bit. Um, and then when I got out of college, you know, the phenomenon of the Da Vinci Code came out. So, I mean, you just, you had to read it. I mean, it's one of those books. He just doesn't happen all the, you know, all the time. So you have to. So I got into Dan Brown. I read all of his books and then I was kind of struggling a little bit. Um, and it was, it was divine intervention. Uh, one day I was going on the elevator at work, saw a guy, I was talking spy novels with him and never, never seen him before. Never seen him again. He's like, you have to read Vince Flynn. Uh, so I went to Books a Million right after work. I think I got Act of Treason. You know, I was hooked, you know, started reading all of them. You know, then it led me to Thor and to Carr uh, and, and Baldacci. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I, would, I think I could probably credit, you know, two uh, besides Flynn uh, for me. Uh, when Baldacci wrote 
long road to mercy. Uh, I, my, my family's originally from Virginia Beach and I went back for Thanksgiving. And it was, I guess it was the week before Thanksgiving actually. And he was in Williamsburg doing the book signing. And I, it was my turn. I, I shook his hand and I was like, I was getting ready to be 40 at the time. I was like, uh, is 42 year old to, to write your first novel. And I kid you not, he stopped mid signature and looks up at me and is like, hell no. You know, the industry could use some good young writers. Now, I didn't know if I should be happier that he thought 40 was young or that this legendary man of the industry was telling me to go forth with my mythic destiny. But at that point, I had no excuses. I had no excuses, right? So I just I just decided I was going to do it. And the Iran thing, you know, I've always, I had always been, I just always wanted to know more about it because, I mean, yeah. you know, you know, anything that goes into Iran rarely makes its way out. And I just, there was a lot of curiosity as to, for me as to, you know, why do they hate us? Uh, what happened in the coup in 53? So uh, I, I kind of, I've always had that in my mind, but um, Joel Rosenberg, you know, his, his uh, five book series, uh, you know, that started with the last Jihad and the, uh, the Ezekiel option. Uh, those were some of the best novels I think I've ever read, but the series that followed that was a series about the 12th of mom and, and, and those were set in Iran. And, uh, you know, that really, that really helped. And, uh, you know, then I read Fred Burton's uh, Beirut rules book. Uh, and I, at that point, you know, I just, I, I had no excuses. I, I needed to find out. I was getting a little frustrated with my, my eight to five job. It's like, you know, let's, let's take this baby for a spin and see what it can do. Yep. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, hopefully, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with, with the book sales. Uh, I continue to hope that they, that they do well, but um, it's, it's something that uh, I wanted to do. And I, you know, on my, on my deathbed, I can say that, you know, I did no, no regrets. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, the, um, I mean, those first two, like, like I said, surviving the lion's den, I'm having fun with, um, but you mentioned it's a three-part series. Did you block it out to be just three parts or did you see Carruthers and Delang growing old together? Like, uh, her, uh, you know, Tubbs and uh, uh, Crockett, Tubbs and Crockett, Crockett. Tubbs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so funny story about that. So, you know, I wanted to just do the one and because uh, you know, I'm always a big believer in like, let's test things out and see how it goes first. Yeah. But uh, my publisher said, well, I like it, but I don't just want one. I want a series. So, uh, you know, my agent calls me up and I, I kind of spitballed a couple of ideas, you know, about what I wanted to do. And um, he says the publisher wants it, but they want a series. What are the names of your other two books and what are they about? And I had to, I mean, I had to come up with the ideas like that. <laughs> so I just had the ideas. And I just ran with it and I just crossed my fingers and, and, and hope that it worked. And um, it is a series of three uh, with my publisher speaking volumes. So, um, you know, the three, the third book will fulfill my contract and uh, we're just going to have to kind of wait and see uh, what happens uh, after that. Cause um, you know, I, I need to, to recoup my investment it is it, there is a business side of this to, to, for me and my wife. Um, so, you know, we have to, you know, make sure that, you know, it's profitable, it gets noticed, you know, we want it to, you know, try and, I want it to be the best thing that, that could ever happen to me. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a tough industry. So we, we have to see, but I, I can say honestly that, you know, I've loved writing these, these three and, uh, the series turned out 
the the way that I, for me personally, as, as the author, it turned out the way I wanted it to. And I, I hope that people like it. And, um, you know, it's, it's up to the, it's up to the re readers as to what happens next, because in the end, you know, the, you know, the books may be written by me, but they're, they're for the readers out there. Once, once it's published, it doesn't belong to me anymore. It belongs to, to them. And, um, I hope that they respond in a way that, you know, makes them want more. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to call anybody up, but I have heard authors say that they'll go back and edit once they hit that publish. And I, for me, I know that there's problems mm -hmm. in, in my books. I know that there's gaffes. I know that there's issues and some of them like a, a plot problem, a character problem. I refuse to go back and, and like re-edit something that I already hit publish on. I just, no. I don't think that's fair to, no, it feels like a mulligan not. and I just, I can't do it. Yeah. No, so. no. I think, I think once you, if you, you know, no matter if you're self-publisher or your traditional publisher, you know, once you go through it with your publisher or with, you know, whoever, once you submit it to be published, that's it. You, you, yeah. you, it doesn't belong to you anymore. And because it's not right, if you change things, it's not right to the readers who read it, you know, three months ago under, you know, certain circumstances. And, you know, three months later, somebody else reads something different. That, yeah, that's not, that's fair. not fair. You, no. Yeah, no, you, you have to, it, you know, when you get published, you write a book, it, it is an agreement between the author and, uh, and the readers that this is the pro this is the product I have for you. And I, you know, because they are giving you the most precious thing in the world, they are giving you their time. And there is no more precious commodity to an author than a reader's time. So you have to, you, you have to be fair with them. Yep. And, and as a reader and a writer, you know, that that's a big investment for most people, you know, got the, Absolutely. got the work, got the kids, got the dog, got all this stuff. And uh, then to take that time out of the day and actually read your work is very important. It's not something to be messed with. I don't think. No. And it's, and it's a way to, to build, build trust because yep. if, you know, they like your first book, you know, hopefully they'll read the second and third and the fourth and whatever the case may be, but it is, it is the beginning of a relationship and you know the, the world is run by relationships whether it's you know you know espionage you know state department you know whatever the case may be uh it is it is a matter of trust and you know the i don't feel like the the author can can violate that no that's it's not fair so um but i will say man um oh i do have I, we've been going about an hour so i'm not going to keep you too much longer on a tuesday night um, but I do have one question, given your uh, genre and given the influences that you've, you've given me over the last hour, John Clark or Mitch Rapp? Mitch Rapp. Gotta oh, go Mitch Rapp. Mitch Gosh. Rapp. I, 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 you know, I will, I will forever fall at the feet of Mitch Rapp and Vince Flynn. <laughs> I, 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 I have to, it was, I wish I had been able to, to meet him. I really do. He, yeah, me too. He he came to Raleigh one time, and it was it was one it was around the time where he announced that he had cancer, and it just it was on a, a weekday night. I had something to do the next day, and I just, I just couldn't go. And uh, you know, we just we just never got to to meet him. But it, I I wish I, I had been able to to meet him. And uh, you know, that's no reflection on on John Clark. John Clark is, is is a badass, but you have to go with the horse that brought you to the show. And uh, Vince Flynn did that for me. I mean, that's he he his his plots weren't weren't overly complicated, right? 
but it was the it was the characters. He made you hate those villains so bad that it was therapeutic for you when when Mitch finally killed him. And uh, that's kind of what I grew up on. Uh, you know, watching wrestling helped in, in that respect uh, a lot of ways. <laughs> you invested but, in those uh, characters. The Iron Sheik. Yeah, that's, a, yeah. that's why you wanted to go to yeah. write something in Iran. The Iron Sheik. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, Hulk, Hulkamania, baby. But you know, in order for Hulkamania to live, the, the Iron Sheik has to has to has to make has to make it make it hard for him. Yeah, I will. I will tell you. I I uh, I like rap's backstory better because uh, I grew up right outside of Syracuse. So as a kid. <laughs> reading that this assassin was just a pissed off college kid out of Syracuse. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Oh yeah. This is my dad uh, went, got his MBA there. I grew up going to, uh, to lacrosse games and basketball games. And um, so, yeah, when I, when I first got to, uh, to Mitch Rapp, it was like, Oh, he's, he's an angry freshman from Syracuse. I love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but on the same hand, I, I grew up, I, I vacuumed up all of Tom Clancy starting at like age nine. So when I got there without oh, remorse, wow. I, without remorse, I was just like, I think this is the most amazing thing I've ever read. Yeah. <laughs> Something yeah, that dark. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, it was, it was really good. That Amazon movie did not do it justice. Oh, that Amazon movie. I like Michael B. Jordan. I think that's who he was, but yeah, uh, it just was not done right. That if they just set that thing in the seventies, you know, stick to the plot line, I yeah. mean, seventies muscle cars and, and, you know it's still working ops in in that vietnam era that would have been crazy yeah. that would have oh been yeah it would been good i mean you have to you know clancy's books were so technical and so long that um you know you had to be very uh, hollywood has to be very careful about who they choose i mean hunt for red october it will forever be my i think my favorite i mean i i can watch that movie over and over and over and never get tired of it patriot games is pretty good so was uh, clear and present danger um you know, the sum of all fears and it was, yeah. it was okay. Yeah. But at that point you, you started to see, you know, you know, where Hollywood was going creatively with it and they were kind of withdrawing from it. So, you know, they had, uh, you know, Mace Newfield was the producer, I think, you know, at the time on the, on the two Harris Ford movie or yeah, two Harris Ford movies. Um, and they really cherry picked the, what worked well in, in those books because there's, you know, Clancy was so technical, it was hard to get through a lot of that stuff, you know, um, but they also knew what worked well and what didn't. And uh, those movies did good. And you can't, you have to be very careful with, with, with Clancy. And I'm hoping that, you know, maybe they learned their lesson a little bit. I do like the Jack Ryan series on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, I think they've, they've done that some, some good justice, even though it's just the characters, but I think they've done the characters justice, but um, you know, you never, never know. I mean, with Bentley, and Greeny and Cameron, you know, going on with the series, there, there's a lot to choose from there. But I'm hoping that with the success, of, I hope two things happens. Number one, with the su- success of the Terminal List uh, and the Gray Man on Netflix, that um, Hollywood will, will start looking harder at the genre and yeah. see how much there is to choose from. Because the fact that Brad Thor does not have one of his books out in movies is just a tragedy. I don't yeah. know how that hasn't happened yet. Um, but, you know, for selfishly, I hope maybe they, you know, they could, you know, they'll start looking in mine. You never know. It could happen, right? <laughs> I did, right. I did send a copy. I did send a copy of this to, to Robert Rodriguez because I love Robert Rodriguez's movies. I really do. Uh, but at the same time, because of the success of those movies, they have to become, they have to learn what the producers did, producers, writers, and directors did right. Because there, there's, we've seen that there's a good way 
for those really great novels to go wrong. Yep. And, you know, you can, you can get a little creative with it. Um, I haven't seen the gray man yet. Uh, I've been dealing with some stuff here at home. Um, but from what I've heard is that as an adaptation, it was okay, but as an action movie, it was really good. And if you, if, if that's, if that is the case, fans of the gray man novel, gray man series, will forgive them because, but you, because the idea is you have to do the, the characters justice and you have to do the work justice. You can take, you know, your creative leeways and American assassin, man, I was, I I was so disappointed with that. I mean, there were things that they did right. Um, but you know, they just did, I mean, they basically ignored the book. I mean, yeah. that, and that, that wasn't right. I think, I think that the kid hard. that they had cast, yeah. yeah, the kid they had cast as, as, as rap was, he wasn't bad. He had the, he had the look, um, but I envisioned rap being, you know, a little bit, a little bit bulkier, a little bit, you know, a little bit more intimidating. And, and I don't think I was ever quite in, intimidated by him. Yeah. The cast was great between that kid and Keaton. They were the great cast, but yeah, they, well, yeah. they departed from the character. And it's just like you said with um, those Harrison Ford Clancy movies stand out because Harrison Ford nailed Jack Ryan. Um, yeah. And I, and even though it's a departure, um, Jim, uh, the guy, the new Jack Ryan from the Amazon show, he's yeah. nailed, he's captured the character and captured that John Krasinski. humbleness. Yeah, John Krasinski. Krasinski, yeah. John Krasinski. I call yeah. him Jim yeah. from The Office. um but yeah when they stay true and they capture who the readers know that that character is it it's going to work no matter how far they depart on the plot and i think what they did wrong was where with without remorse on amazon is they they captured the the kind of grit michael b jordan got the got the character they just didn't i mean it was it wasn't supposed to be just a nice gift wrapped family it was a a girl that he had just met and he went out he went laid waste because of almost a total stranger you know yeah it just um they just missed it they completely missed the spirit of the book but yeah and i think they really they really need to have you know their test audiences uh need need to change a little bit and they they need to be people who have read the book you know you're always going to have the diehard people that don't want anybody to depart from the novel whatsoever and you know i understand that but that's not that doesn't work they you know they there are things that you you just you have to cut out you can't include and there's the leeway but you know there's other people like you know you and me that understand where the spirit of the novel is and and what they have to do so i think that's where you know hollywood has to to really self-examine uh the thriller genre because you can get away with a lot but there's things that you can't get away with so yeah, there's a there's a core that has to be that has to be abided by uh yeah, yeah. but i i have a question for you so you Shoot. mentioned we've, we've been talk, talking clancy alec baldwin or harrison ford oh god well uh, uh not even not even a question man it's uh harrison ford was han solo and indiana jones <laughs> so <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> i um <laughs> Yeah, there's a, that's not even close, uh, but I just, really? Harrison Ford was, was a, I mean, Alec Baldwin tried, but he also, you know, uh, you know, Jack Ryan was kind of a busted up. He was, you know, injured, physically injured all the time. Harrison Ford, when he's flopping around a set, he's not running around like he's an athlete. He's, he's, you know, in Patriot games, he's bumbling his way into saving, you know, those people yeah. in the car. It's, uh, yeah. it just feels, it just felt more uh, legit. No, I get and, that. And Alec yeah, was I a think... little, he's, he's polished. He's like, he's, 
he's a polished actor and Harrison Ford looks like he just walked off of a set design, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. Yeah. I, I actually, I actually liked Alec Baldwin just because I, he had the young look that, that, that I saw uh, when I read uh, Hunt for Red October. But to me, you know, when you look at Red October and you look at Patriots games and clear and present danger, uh, the latter two are much more character focused, whereas October was a lot more plot driven. I mean, because when you got Sean Connery, man, I mean, you know, you, yeah. you've you know, you've got to do it's it's more about doing him justice than it was about doing uh, Jack Ryan justice. I mean, Ryan's the hero, but you know, without um, without uh, Connery's character, uh, it, it, you know, it, it didn't work. So um, I, I like Baldwin because there was a more there was much more of an analyst uh side of it and that's kind of what i liked patriot games obviously ended up being you know a much more personal story for the jack ryan character uh and then clear and present danger was it, it was its own thing i mean it was it was as much character driven as it was plot driven and uh i think harrison ford did, that was probably i love patriot games but uh clear and present danger man that was that was a, a lot to overcome for that from a character standpoint yeah. and he played every emotion because uh you know the backstabbing by uh, uh was it cutter yeah cutter um dennis the special security advisor uh cutter um you know he just he, he didn't know how how deep he was uh and that and he played that perfectly i mean that, that's what i love about harrison ford is he you know i've heard rumors about him having great speeches in his scripts and he'll tell the writer i'm not going to do it and the writer's like why he's like well i can do that with a look and i mean at that at that <laughs> point you're just it. like yep. okay i i'm so i'm i'm impressed you know you just gotta you just gotta say okay sir and you you hop to it and then you he proves you wrong and then you're glad that he did and, and when you mention uh, Clear and Present Danger, the sheer amount of character perspectives and plots that they oh, had yeah. to wrap up in a movie in that oh, book, they oh, actually yeah. did, they came close to doing that justice. But from uh, yeah. Chavez and and and, um, uh, and Clark, Clark, and then yeah. also, you know, Jack Ryan and all that, that's that that was a very big Ritter. scope. Yeah, there's so much to tie in there. And they actually got pretty close uh, for, yeah. you know, the limitations of adaptation goes. Yeah, no, I think they did. I think they did that one good. I, I really do. Um, I Patriot Games is just for some of the reason Patriot Games is one that I can just I can watch over and over and over, and I've never been able to figure out why. But there's just something about it that I, that I like. But October, man, I uh, I actually kicked myself the other day because it was four ninety nine on sale on iTunes, and I and I missed it. I was like, oh, I'll get it. To, I'll get it tomorrow. I'm a little busy, and sure enough, it went went up by ten bucks. So yeah, I'm going to get it the next time. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to get it. I still have it on DVD, but you know, we're in the we're in the age of, of convenience here. I want to be able to turn on my Apple TV and not have to get up and put it put the disc in the in the DVD player. Yep. That's right. My my uh, my little guys actually opened up the drawer the other day, and and my five year old's like, "What are these things?" And my nine year old, "It's a DVD." <laughs> and the five year old's like, "Well, what do you do with them?" He's like, "I don't know. They've been here my whole life." <laughs> I don't even think I could play those anymore. I don't even have a DVD player. I just got a cabinet full of DVDs. <laughs> what you ought, what you ought to do is see if you can find an old cassette tape and an old Walkman, and, and let them see if they can play it. Oh, that would yeah. be funny. That'd be funny. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But uh, man, it's a Tuesday night. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go. Before I do, I um, 
I uh, want you to put out your socials or where best to, um, to uh, find you. Yeah, everybody, uh, they can uh, have a website, mattscottbooks.com. That is also my handle on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I, you can also friend me on Facebook. I don't have a business account. Um, I, I take it all. Everybody who's my friend, I take it, I take it personally. It seems to, seems to work for me. Uh, if you really want to message me, though, um, I, I do watch Twitter for messages, but it's not my favorite medium. Um, so uh, Instagram or Facebook is always good. But you can, if you want to email me, you can go out to the website at mattscottbooks.com. And there is a, a, a contact me uh, site. And uh, that's where, you know, I, I recently had an article published in Mystery and Suspense magazine. That's how the editor reached out to me there. So I watch them all. I answer everybody, no matter what. So please reach out to me. I'd love to talk to you. Very cool. Well, I appreciate you talking to me tonight, man. And um, again, Surviving the Lion's Den, The Iranian Deception. I can't wait for book three. And you're going to have to come back and we'll chat again about when you uh, when book three comes out. Absolutely, man. And you, you're on my swag list forever. And oh. uh, you, you'll, 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 get, you'll get it all. So you you know, that's once you're on my mailing list, man, you don't get off. So, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to let you go. And I did. And I had a note, too. Um, but, man, that that Turvis Cup is that thing is a magnet for people like that. Uh, so everybody, Matt sent me a Turvis Cup, the, the clear plastic ones with his cover on it. And that thing, everybody is just like, where did you get that? It, it's, that was, you know, he sent me a, a notebook, uh, like a leather uh, bookmark um two copies of the book the i mean the the swag i was like i was i was like I, I could not believe it oh and by the way the calligraphy um my mom <laughs> my uh, my mother-in-law my wife they, all this other all the other toys i'm playing with they uh-huh. the envelope and they're like look at this calligraphy did he do this i'm like i did yeah, yeah. I, I did and so and I, I totally winged it so it makes my day knowing that they think you know it was done well because i just googled calligraphy and i was looking how to make the john the yeah, the j you know, look really cool and the s that was totally winging so i thought either you know either the people who have sent it to including yourself are going to look at this and say oh my god this was done by like a five-year-old oh, no, or they're, they're gonna think it was done good but uh, no. yeah, swag is important, man. Let me, uh, let me show you something. So see if I can get this right here. You got all kinds of like, uh, so there's my oh, lion's yep. den leather stamp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's my, there's my S&M logo. And then there's, there's just the S. And then, you, know, you can do, and you do stickers yep, and, and, and stuff like that. You know, it's, it's all fun. This is where the fun it's part awesome, of the writing yeah. process comes in. You know, you gotta, you, I'm only going to probably get to do this, you know, once in my life. So, you know, the, the budget tends to go up, but this is the fun part and I'm doing it. So I'm really glad you, you, you enjoyed it. Oh yeah. I've enjoyed it. And, uh, and I've, I've immediately like going to get those service cups. I, I, those are amazing. So thank you very much. And, uh, that you're, was, you're welcome. That was awesome. But, uh, All right, I'm going to sign off and um, thanks everybody. We'll talk to you next week.